Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith America podcast. This is volume 99, the J.J. Watt episode, which is fitting because he has a very special relationship with our guest this week on Marty Smith America, that being his youngest brother, T.J. Watt, the all-pro defensive lineman for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, it was awesome to have an opportunity to spend some time with T.J., learn about that relationship that he has both with J.J. and his brother Derek, the influence that his father and mother had on them in Wisconsin growing up, what it's like to play for Mike Tomlin. And, you know, the the thought in my mind that those three guys, even during quarantine, they get to work out together. And I, I imagine them going down the street in Wisconsin and buying a full cow, throwing that thing on the smoker coming back after the workout and ripping it apart limb by limb. Phenomenal family. I love to see the relationship that the brothers have, the great mutual admiration that they have for one another, respect for each other, and how they champion each other. And we get into all that with TJ during this conversation. It's been quite a week in the Smith household. There's been an addition. There has been an addition. And we'll also get into the unbelievable I mean, I, indescribable volumes three and four of The Last Dance. Uh, if you guys have not seen this, I'm sorry. You must go drop, stop whatever you're doing and go right now to find it. But before we get into our conversation with TJ and those other topics that I just noted, I want to remind you guys that even though we're in this unbelievable time of change, ZipRecruiter's focus has not changed. They're still doing what they've always done, helping people find work and helping businesses find the right people for their open roles. That is so vital right now with so many people looking for work. It breaks my heart, man, thinking about all of those people with the numbers that are escalating every single day, people filing for unemployment, people who need help financially, people who are doing their very best to find employment. It's a really, really hard time. Again, never before have we had this juxtaposition between concern for global public health and concern for the massive paradigm shift in the global economic climate. And I just, I watch the news every day and I just go, I I, I don't, I don't understand this. And it's it's just really hard for me to rationalize and to grasp. But if you're looking for a job, ZipRecruiter is working with you to find the right job faster. They're dedicated to helping you get hired from caretaking to delivering food and goods to building medical facilities, supplying protective equipment, and so much more. In fact, ZipRecruiter's app will send you up-to-date job openings so that you can be the very first to apply to a job that intrigues you. And if you are actively hiring right now, ZipRecruiter will invite candidates to apply to your most urgent roles, making it faster and easier to reach the people that you need right now by connecting people who need jobs and companies that need people. ZipRecruiter is working with all of us so we can keep moving forward. Let's work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. 
And I mean what I'm saying there, guys. I have neighbors who are, who bought a Dremel. There's this Dremel device. It's like a, it's like a box, kind of like a glass box. And you put in this filament, this long string, and then you punch in a code. And a few hours later, a protective shield is created right there on the kitchen kitchen table. And the other day, my neighbors who, who bought this Dremel machine, they had produced four or five face shields. And they took those face shields over to the hospital over here in Charlotte. And the nursing staff wept because it's so hard to get these the PPE right now. And there's so many people working so hard on the front lines and sacrificing so much and sacrificing their own well-being. And in a lot of cases, their family. They're going home to their families. And when you go into a room, you know, we're all we're all kind of cutting up and 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 making light as best we can, even though so many of us are concerned about the fact that we're quarantined and we're at home and people are doing funny things on social media and all of that to bring some levity to what to me is a very concerning moment. And we seem to, even though we're championing first responders and nurses and doctors, I feel like we we still can't really wrap our hands around what they do every day. If you have a patient that comes into that emergency room and is not feeling well and has a fever and has a sore throat and they're pretty sure that they have the coronavirus and they're put in a room, if you're that doctor that is about to walk into that room, you are walking into a war zone. And I say that not lightly, and I say that because a physician told me those exact words. And you guys will see that physician say those words in a piece that I have coming up very soon. And all that comes with that, as I've interviewed these doctors, I am reminded with each passing interview, I am given pause because I realize how massive this is in the magnitude of walking into that room. The magnitude that you could walk into that room just fine and you could walk out of that room with a virus that kills people. That's a hell of a scary prospect. And I am extremely grateful to every single person who is doing that. For people like me that are sitting at home, you try to take it serious and you do the things you're supposed to do, but you don't you don't see what's going on at the hospitals and these different places. So it's hard to fully understand and grasp just how crazy it is at those spots where they're dealing with it day in and day out. Yeah. And it's nobody's fault. Like there's no, there's no fault or anything being cast here. It's just as I've had these conversations with these physicians and you hear them walk through blow by blow, the, the kind of environments that they're experiencing and what all of that actually is. You take a step back and you feel very small and you bow your head and you pray to Jesus and you say, thank you that my family is healthy. And you say, thank you that I am employed right now. 
and you say thank you that there are those physicians and those nurses and those firemen and those police officials and law enforcement officials and teachers and truck drivers and all of these people right now, all the grocery store staff who are in in the in the line of fire of this virus. And I I that is at the forefront of my mind every day. And I'm just extremely grateful. And uh I will say I hope that there are certain things that give them a bit of a distraction when they do get home. And I will tell you that all of us in this moment, it's just such a unique moment in, in the global history. And we all need a little bit of distraction. And there's, it's, it's difficult for me to quantify or detail how badly I miss sports. And I think that's why the NFL draft had the highest rating number it's ever had. Because it was something that we could sit on the couch with a beer and we could watch the emotion that the you know Tongavailoa family has when Tua gets drafted fifth to the Dolphins. To watch the Burrow family as Joe got that call, even though he knew, it's still really cool to see. To see, I think about Cesar Ruiz, who was an offensive lineman for the Michigan Wolverines. Sorry, Travis. Um. I remember standing at the fountain in Rome, Italy, and Jim Harbaugh elbowing me in the arm and going, see that young man over there? Yes, sir. He's probably going to be the best center in the history of Michigan football. Well, holy smokes. Okay, I'll pay attention to him. And to see this massive, unbelievably athletic person break down in tears because he's achieved a lifelong dream was awesome. I sent text messages to a lot of players that I've gotten to know over the past several years and followed their careers and covered them and done feature stories on them and their families, gotten to know their parents in a lot of cases, like Joe Burrow's parents and Grant Delpit's parents, to see those reactions in their environment was very cool. And that may be a one-and-done moment likely will be a one-and-done moment ever. But I give so much, so much credit and admiration to everybody that was involved in pulling that thing off because, I mean, we can't even, Travis and I can't even get through a podcast with just him and me on it without him having to stop me and go, hey, man, wait, back up, go back there because you took a couple hits in your audio for a, Production of that magnitude with all of those different cameras in all of those different places, in all those different Wi-Fi signals. It's just, I mean, honestly, it's almost a miracle. It's a good thing I didn't get drafted because my Wi-Fi clearly wouldn't have worked and it just would have been like a, a frozen photo of me. Well, I, we were, I was crushing Belichick and, and Mike Vrabel. There you go. You can, you can holler go bucks on that. Um, I, it just, it was hilarious. To, you know they 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 go to they go to Belichick's camera at one point and he's got like a husky sitting in the seat. 
that dude's like a it's a he, he's like a fo, he's like a photograph he's like a poster boy for Nantucket. He's got his quarter zip on. He's sitting there with some sherbet, you know, hanging out drafting guys from Lenore Ryan. And then you got Vrabel, who's got one guy over here wearing his Pro Bowl jersey with a Joe Exotic bleached white mullet. And then you got another one over here wearing one of those Lycra bodysuits. And then you got another one over here on the John. I mean, it it was just and, – and Vrabel's got three-quarters of a can of Coke in his lip. He had he had a horseshoe in that lip, man. And then at one point he spits it out, just very casual. You're a seasoned veteran if you can pack that much Coke in your lip at one time. Like, I've never – I've been around some old boys who dip some snuff. I don't think I've ever seen anybody – have that volume of tobacco in their lip at one moment. Uh, so and kudos, Vrabel. Do you know who uh, what Belichick's dog's name was? Mm-mm. Nike. Really, I like that dog. Yeah, my kind of dog. I uh, I just am so impressed by everybody involved at ESPN, NFL Network. All the internet outlets, I don't know. Everybody involved. It was just very well done. And I'm glad that they received the instant affirmation that what they did was right by those ratings. Uh, that is instant affirmation. So congratulations, everybody. And I've now rambled to the point that uh, it's time to get to our interview. This is another. This is a young man who had that moment. This is a young man who who did not play the game for three years due to injury and then had one phenomenal season at the University of Wisconsin at Camp Randall Stadium and lived that dream and lives that dream every day at the absolute highest level of the National Football League. Here is our conversation. Marty Smith's America, volume J.J. Watt with J.J. Watt's little brother. Pittsburgh Steelers defensive end DJ Watt. It is a great pleasure of mine to welcome uh, Pittsburgh Steelers superstar wonderkind TJ Watt to the Marty Smith America podcast. Brother, we have been trying to get you on, and I am so grateful that you've given me a few minutes today. And we're going to start this extravaganza. With the Watt Quarantine Olympic Games, all right? Describe <laughs> this athletic showcase for us, its right. greatest highlight, and who prevailed. I mean, we had a whole bunch of events set up. A lot of them didn't even end up happening because we got so dang competitive in the weight room that we didn't even have enough energy to get out into the field and actually try the soccer and everything. But uh, we in the weight room every day, there's always – there's always something that we're competing at, whether it's who can jump the farthest. Uh, JJ's got his trainer down in Houston that he sends all his videos to. And uh, so he's always videotaping his workouts and sending them back. And I always go over by him. He's like, you can't do it. You can't do this with the, with the right form. You can't do it like I can. I'm like, all right, let me try it. I try it the first time I beat him on the long jump. So then he gets upset and he tries to do it. And I just basically told him to go and send that to his trainer. Cause I beat him the first try without any teaching on the form or anything. So, I mean, just stuff like that is happening all the time. I mean, we, we just got a basketball hoop here at the compound and um, just 
trying to compete in, in many different ways and also just try to get outside. I mean, we're finally getting nice weather up here in Wisconsin, so we're just trying to appreciate that as much as possible. Who's the best basketball player? Oh, I mean, J.J. played in high school, so he just can't hit a free throw to save his life, and if he does, it always banks in. Uh, Derek's got a good shot. Um, uh, I, I like the three-pointers. I'm probably the best of the three-pointers out of the three of us. A lot of guys uh, that we've spoken to during this COVID pandemic and how everybody's quarantined and whatnot. Hell, some guys, TJ, they can't even, like, their only workout opportunity is running the dog around the block. And I know that you three are just getting after it out there to compound. Uh, put me in there, man. What are those workouts like? Yeah, I know. You look around the league and – I mean, if you even live in an apartment or a hotel or whatever your situation is, there are no gyms open, period. So um, a lot of guys are having to – I've seen guys, like, pushing cars and doing all sorts of crazy workouts that are not normal. Um, But for us, it's really business as usual. Uh, We usually go to a gym that's local here that – that's called Next Level that Brad Arnett runs, our head trainer. Um, But we're not able to do that, so we work out here at the compound. And JJ has a full gym that with everything you can imagine – um, so it's business as usual. We have Olympic weights. We have free weights. We have all the bench. We have all the materials that you need. Then you go out back and you have a, a, like a 100-yard football field that J.J. paints himself. He takes a lot of pride in that. And um, it's it really is business as usual. We have pass rush dummies. It, it looks like a, like a full-on facility out here, and that's exactly uh, what we need in a time like this. And um, I know it's a lot of unfortunate times for a lot of people. Um, but we have a great facility here, and we're very fortunate uh, that J.J. lets us train here with him. How many hours a day? Um, it's tough when you're doing it just the three of us because we don't have an actual trainer in there and the other guys loading on weights and unloading weights. So it usually takes about three or four hours if you factor in running and when you start to warm up and stuff. So it's it's a good chunk of the day. I don't want to make this whole thing about you and your brothers, but I will tell you, T.J., I am envious uh, of the relationship that you guys have. It's really cool to see the mutual respect and love that you guys have. I imagine in my mind when the brothers Watt get together, y'all like you go by like a full cow down the street in Wisconsin. <laughs> you throw that cow in the smoker. You work out doing some military press with some tree trunks for seven hours out there in the compound. And then you come back and tear that damn cow apart limb by limb. I, that, like that in my mind is the way you guys roll. When you are together and, it, and it's not workout time, what is on the mm-hmm. to-do list? Man, we're probably arguing about who has to cook, who's going to clean the dishes, all that stuff. I mean, we, we hang out so much. And like you say, it's it's tough to even have interviews and not talk about my brothers, even if they're not brought up, just because they're so intertwined in my life and um, we're just so close knit in everything that we do, and not just in football, but in life as well. And um, it's it's just been such a special time to um, just be able to hang out with them. Like you said, a normal off season, we don't get this much time, but with JJ up here for the full off season, Derek here, and now he's going to Pittsburgh is going to be really, really special for us as a family. And um, when we're just hanging out, we we just relax, and um, there's always something to find competitive, but. Um, just really hang out and enjoy each other's company and just catch up on life because, like you said, once we're in the football season, we don't get to see each other much. Let's break down the National Siblings Day photograph social media battle. All right, J.J., I think, starts it with a photograph of you three at like a wedding or a funeral or something or another. 
That Daniel was on a cruise ship. Oh, that was, was a cruise ship formal night. <laughs> cruise ship formal night. Okay, so <laughs> so take me take take me through this. The, the Watts go on a cruise. You leave Wisconsin, which I imagine mm-hmm. was probably a pretty big deal in its own right. And then you get to the cruise <laughs> ship. What happens? I mean, we were we were a big cruise family growing up. I think I've been on over twenty five cruises in my life. My that was like our big thing growing up. Once a year, we would go on a family cruise together. And then uh, obviously, as we grew older, we kind of phased out of it. But um, we would love going on cruises together. Uh, we would always run the basketball court. And I posted about that on Twitter later on. Um, we would just probably just feed at the JJ down the post. He'd go to work. Um, but we always wanted to dress up really nice for a formal night. My parents always wanted us to dress up nice and uh, I had the white glasses on. I wanted those white Oakleys so bad that year that I, I actually pulled the trigger on them in, I think, some some little hut in Mexico and warmed a, warmed a dinner that <laughs> night with probably my clip-on tie and my carnival cruise pin. <laughs> <laughs> there was another There was another great photo, and I don't think that one was actually part of the sibling National Siblings Day. I think you just threw this one out there for good measure. I don't know where you guys are. But it looks like you have on some of JJ's hand-me-down jeans. All y'all have on the polo. You have on like a canary yellow polo. Mom and dad are kicking it. Where the hell are you guys? My dad's in the New Balance with the black jeans. Maybe like that look. We're down in Milwaukee. That was uh, that was after a brunch, I believe. I don't know what the holiday was, but we didn't go out for brunch much. And uh, when we did go out to eat, we obviously took a lot of pictures and. I'm um, just looking. I think I had basketball old Adidas shoes on. JJ has actual nice shoes with khakis. So maybe we were celebrating him or something. I have no idea. We are about 250 pounds lighter than we are right now. It looks really weird. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned your old man. Uh, you know, being a being a firefighter and having that influence in your home every day. You guys, as bro- all three of you guys, play with this kind of blue collar, relentless ferocity. How did that blue-collar example and influence from your dad kind of impact the way you and your brothers live life? Oh, it's huge. I mean, I think the biggest thing that I learned from my dad being a firefighter was just sacrifice. Um, there'd be so many nights um, that he wasn't able to come and just eat dinner with us or spend the night because firefighters, you spend the night, uh, sometimes two or three nights in a row at the fire station. Um, so to not be able to have him around all the time, um, showed me that he was sacrificing to put food on the table for our family. And then he wasn't there for some holidays because he had to work on Christmas and other big holidays. So, I mean, just learning to put others before yourself. And um, it he's taught me so much just about perspective and trying to be the best person I can possibly be on and off the football field. And um, the biggest story that I have of my dad that all three of us uh, tell is, when we were really young, he would always tell us before every football game, any hockey game, any game, he would just say, every single play is your Super Bowl. Every play is your Super Bowl. So, I mean, even to this day, if I see him before a game, he'll say, every play is your Super Bowl. Wow. So I think he's just always instilled in us to play each play like it's your last, like it's the most important play of your life. And um, it's just something that's really carried on through my whole career. It's so rare, even when there are multiple, I mean, Multiple siblings in a family, very rarely is there a situation like you guys have where not only do all of you play the game, you play it at a really high level, at at the highest level. And I can't imagine what it's like 
when you're all together and in the pride that your parents must have? Like, what's mom say? <laughs> See, it's everybody always says that your parents must be must just sit back and just relax. But they're like, it's just normal to us. I don't know. I always I can't speak for them, but people always ask me what it's like to have two brothers in the NFL or what it was like to be the younger brother, JJ or Derek. I mean, Derek was just a beast and especially high school, he would just dominate high school. So I had to come up after that and they're like, Whoa, that's your brother. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but it's normal <laughs> to me. So none of this stuff is, is out of the ordinary for me. So I don't know what it's like to be a normal kid that doesn't have famous brothers. So uh, for them, my mom um, works tirelessly on my brother's foundation still. Um, and they, I mean, moving into Pittsburgh, I, I built a house out there and they helped me move in and um, they'll help Derek and his wife and move in out there in Pittsburgh as well. So they're such a big part of our life as well that um, at all three of our houses, they have their own bedroom already set aside. They have all their clothes there. So when they travel to us, they don't even have to uh, pack suitcases, which is really nice. Speaking of your brother's foundation, what he does philanthropically is uh, maybe I could learn how to say that word. What he does philanthropically—that's <laughs> a big damn word, TJ. Uh, yes, it is. It is. It is admirable beyond my ability to articulate. Uh, I'll get to that in just one second. How long, as as someone who's coming into the league, so many years after he's already set the bar as the best defensive player in the league, when you come, how long is that shadow when your older brother is JJ Watt? To me, there was none. I mean, in all honesty, to me, there was none. I, to me, it was more of a blueprint on how to do things and how to do things the right way. And uh, I think that's just the outlook that I've had on it my whole life. Um, to a lot of people, they're, they're still a shadow. I mean, it's, I think it'll always be with me, um, but that's not for me to control. And I think the, the best thing that I can do is just learn from every one of his experiences, um, use him as not only a big brother, but as a mentor to bounce questions off of and try to take my game to the next level, like I say, on and off the field. Uh, you bring up uh, his foundation and everything along those lines and just being a leader in the community. Growing up, I I didn't really understand all that went into his foundation. Uh, when, he, when he first started, I helped. I was on the board trying to help send out the wristbands that say Dream Big Work Hard to provide for after-school athletics for kids. And um, I didn't realize how special a moment that was until – now I'm trying to figure out what I want to do to impact communities um, and start a foundation. But there is so much work that goes into just even starting the foundation, um, let alone raising the amount of money that he's been able to do and impact so many lives. Um, you really just have to sit back and just really admire the person that he is um, and to stack on the, the football playing ability as, uh, as a once-in-a-generation type player. Amen. Once, I mean, it, it, and he almost demanded of other people through action, not through words, but through action, to to do that. Like I remember the flooding and how much money he raised. It was it was unbelievable. And when someone of his pedigree on the field and with that kind of resume on the field takes that same initiative to be that dynamic in the community as well, it is truly generational i think that's a word i would not have thought of but it's it's the perfect word mm -hmm. yes and like i said i get to call that guy my big brother and one of my best friends so uh it's definitely uh it's 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 a cheat code to me we were talking about blue collar being blue collar a few moments ago mike tomlin strikes me as a blue collar no bs guy what is your favorite you story that, right? about coach tomlin give me a good one 
Coach Tomlin. Oh man, the only the only thing that comes to mind is I used to always joke about wanting to play tight end on on a goal line package or something. I'd say, uh, Coach, I got hands, I can catch, I can catch. Uh, and he would kind of blow it off. And then finally, towards the start of the season this past year, I was like, Coach, come on, man, go on, package, put me in. He said, Once you get a defense player of the year, son. <laughs> so he nipped that in the butt real quick. I think he was actually serious on that one. I won't joke anymore. <laughs> what was just, your welcome I mean, to the NFL moment? Welcome to the NFL moment was. In practice, I'd say in OTAs with just going up against Ben, um, we were we were doing pass rush. It was two minute drill. Um, they were, I was always trying to jump the snap count because two minute drill is on one. So Ben went up to line. He said, "Hurry, hurry!" Which after every quarterback says, "Hurry, hurry!" It's always set hut, never on two. So he said, "Hurry, hurry!" Set hut, and it was on two. And I jumped off sides, and that was my holy cow. These guys are smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> How good is that guy? How good is Ben Roethlisberger? He is special. That's a once in a generation guy as well. I mean, from just you just watch his film, and if you go out there and practice, and it's you put in a backup, and then he comes in and just dissects things, and just the amount of knowledge that he has, and where he can place the football in the field, and just makes everybody around him better. Um, I think he has everything you're looking for in a in a quarterback. What kind of what was what kind of teammate was Antonio Brown when you were around him in the locker room? I didn't have much interaction with AB, but uh, when I did with him, it was all it was all real positive and positive stuff. And uh, AB and JJ went to school together at Central Michigan, so we'd always talk about old Central Michigan football games that uh, I attended that he had no idea that I was actually there. <laughs> In what area do you think you've improved the most since you entered the league? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I would have to just say uh, my, my film study uh, in, my, in my past rush, I think uh, those are the two areas that uh, I've really been able to blossom at and want to just continue to get better at. Uh, you watch a lot of film in college and uh, in the first few years of the NFL, and you don't really realize how much you can pick up, um, not only on game film but on TV copies and listening and just all the things that are tells that a lot of guys just kind of look past in the film room. But if you really take the time and you watch plays over and over again, you're going to pick up something, whether it's a tackle with his foot just a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage on runs as opposed to pass, or if it's certain things in the cadence, or if it's just the way that wide receivers are standing. Um, There's always something that gives away certain plays. So um, I'd have to say definitely in the film room. What are the? There's a lot of really good players in the in the NFL. We know that, but there's only this select handful of guys who are all pro. What attributes or tactics or abilities make someone an all pro? What's that separating factor? Consistency. I'd say that that was the number one note that I had to myself after last season um, was just being a consistent player. Uh, there, like you said, there's so many phenomenal players in the NFL. And, I mean, you look at the weekly awards throughout the season and guys having three or four sacks uh, in, in a week or three or four picks in a week even, just things that are absolutely incredible. But what separates uh, a pro board from an all-pro or even a, a starter from a second-string guy, or it, it's all so fine. It's so minute because the level is so high and everything's so intense. But where you find the separation is inconsistency. And if you find a guy that can do and play at a high level week in and week out, 
consistently, they're, they're definitely going to have the the biggest opportunity to be an all-pro type player. Who's the best player you've played against in the NFL so far? Oh, that's a great question. I Tom Brady. I mean, have to. Yeah. Have to be yeah. Tom Brady. Describe what it's like to play against him. Oh, I mean that. I mean it's that's one of those guys that you go out there in the field and you're like, holy cow, that's Tom Brady. I see him in the Under Armour commercials. <laughs> <laughs> and then you line up and you realize that they're in game adjustments or they're making game adjustments very quickly. Um, I mean they come out of halftime. It's a completely different game plan. Uh, he has total command over um, over his huddle and what type of plays they want to run versus our defense. And, I mean, he's been seeing the Pittsburgh Steelers defense for a long time. So um, I was only able to go up against him as a Patriot for two or three years. But um, luckily able to get him down one time, and that was uh, that was a special moment for me. You noted the value of consistency. I mean, you went three years without playing a game, man. Three years. I, I, due to, of course, I was due to, to injuries. What did you learn about yourself while you were away from actually playing games? Yeah, I think when you take when you take away the the game that that brings you passion and kind of is your outlet and just brings you happiness, and you take that away and you say I couldn't play football for for pretty much three years, it really showed me how much I love the game of football and how much I wanted to attack it when I was able to be healthy. Um, when you're on the sidelines and you're not participating, you kind of, you're able to sit back and you're able to hear other guys. And a lot of guys would, would say stuff like, I don't want to go out to practice today or, man, we have to do this, we have to do this workout. And I would be sitting there like, man, if I was healthy, I would do anything to be able to be in your shoes just to be able to practice. So I think that has been one thing that stuck with me and for the rest of my life it will, that every single day that I am in the NFL – it is such a special moment that millions of people would die for, and they would they would give anything to be in my shoes. So it would be an absolute disservice to not give everything that I have on a Tuesday practice. So I think just things like that kind of carry over, and they stick with me, and it's only going to drive to make me a better player. I got a couple more, and I'm going to let you run. I don't want to keep you too long. What was that moment like when you stepped back on the field in September of 2015 against the Alabama Crimson Tide? Oh, man, I think the only thing I did in that game was I, I was uh, on the kickoff return unit. I think I I think I think got like a, a pancake block of some sort in the first one. I came off super excited, super <laughs> excited. And then I think the next one I got absolutely trampled. <laughs> and then I was a roller coaster. So I learned real quick that you got to forgive. You got to forget no matter if it's a good or a bad play. But uh, I think that was all I did that game was on the kickoff return unit and finally learn my earn my stripes further on down the season. I have been blessed to attend games at the most intense college football cathedrals there are, except for Camp Randall Stadium. I've never been. That's a shame. What makes that place different? The fans, I mean, just the student section alone, I think, is, is incredible. Obviously, you get 85,000-plus people um, in one place uh, filled up on cheese curds and alcohol. I think that's a perfect recipe for screaming fans and a great uh, football, football atmosphere. Uh, but just if you attend a game, you will see how involved the student section is. They're singing songs throughout the whole thing. They're chanting things you have to blurt out on TV. 
and uh, it's it's just such a phenomenal environment. And obviously, you get to jump around at the end of the third quarter, and it is it is something you have to do before you die. Strongly suggest you making that a priority. I will do that. We're going to end it where we started it. If we're back there in the in the compound, and we're three hours into that four hour run, what what music is on? on the system i mean are we listening to rap or music <laughs> that, guys are we that's pop been a guys big, what are we that's been a big topic of conversation lately um because usually it's a lot of rap but lately we've switched over to country radio uh country's been kind of the hit for the past week or so uh there's been some like kygo type music and it really depends on the day i think uh, the younger in your career, and when we were all younger, you had to listen to the hardcore rap to be able to push a lot of weight and run real hard. But now I think you're just looking for the more more stuff that just gets you in the mood to work out. And uh, Some days it's country, some days it's uh, rap. It just depends. Younger in his career, ladies and gentlemen, T.J. Watt is 25 years old. We'll leave it there. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much for your time and insight. Pleasure of my life. All right, thank you very much. Have a great day. It's always cool for me when guys have that good a sense of humor. Because, listen, on social media, if you guys don't follow the Watt brothers on social media, you're missing out. Because they play off each other like a comedy routine. And what TJ and I were discussing there early in the chat about the photos going back and forth on National Sibling Day, I was crying. I was crying at the photos that were going back and forth. And it's fun to be able to have fun with guys and they reciprocate and understand where you're going with it. What a tremendous football player and somebody who is so young and has so many more years left in the game and plays at such a high level with such ferocity. And I love the idea that all three of them, have kind of taken that subconscious lead from their father, watching him work really hard and that blue-collar mentality. And I love my favorite moment of that interview. There were a lot of them, but my favorite moment of that interview is every play is your Super Bowl. Every single play is the most important play of your life. And... I will tell you that you a lot people that are successful, in most cases, they don't just fall into that. They don't just happen. There are some, but even a guy, like I, I, got, I got Luke Combs, my buddy, a, a great friend of mine who's a country music star. I have him on my mind because Ryan McGee and I have a new feature coming out uh, on Tuesday called Marty and McGee Show and Tell. And it's where we are having celebrities on and those celebrities kind of show us items in their office or maybe in their man room or maybe in these country guys, their man barn. But I think about Luke. Luke's first seven singles went number one. First seven singles. His first album, This One's For You, was number one on the country chart for 44 weeks. There is no other male in the history of the format who can say that. Randy Travis's record, Always and Forever, spent 43 weeks at number one back in the late 80s. 
No other man has done it. And in fact, there's only one other artist who has done it, and that's Shania Twain. Shania's record, Come On Over, was number one for 50 weeks. People see what happened with Luke, and they go, well, he just happened. No, he did not just happen. What he did doesn't happen ever. But it takes a lot of time spent in fraternity parties, in little old hole-in-the-wall bars playing to six or eight people who think that you suck. And it takes a lot of guts to leave Asheville, North Carolina, or, or Boone, North Carolina from App State and say, I'm going to go chase the neon rainbow. And there are so many people in that town who do that and don't, that, that, that's all they do. They chase it. They never catch it. There's a select few who catch it, and Luke's one of those guys. And so he's on my mind. But successful people don't just happen, man. Well, that's like with T.J. Watt, for example. People saw him just blow up. They didn't see him busting his ass for three years. Even though he couldn't play, he's still doing everything he can. Like, there's still that work there that you just don't always see. And so you just see the quick rise, and you're like, oh, wow, it, it, they took off. Like, no, it's, it's been a progress. That's right. And I mean, like, I think a lot about a lot of my colleagues. You know, like Scott Van Pelt. Scott Van Pelt has the biggest show on ESPN. Scott Van Pelt didn't just didn't just happen. Scott Van Pelt busted his ass for years and years and years. And then he gets a, a shot at the Golf Channel. And... Does well there. And then he comes to ESPN and gradually over 20 years builds that career that, it, you know, make, puts him in a position where he's one of the what, Travis, three faces of our company probably? I'll, I'll call him the face. I know he won't say it, but we will. I mean, he's he's it's like him and Stephen A. They're the faces of ESPN. And so you don't you don't just happen. And and I, I love that idea that every single play is the Super Bowl. So thank you much to, to TJ and sharing all that insight with us and having such a great sense of humor and taking 20 or 25 minutes out of his time with his brothers and his family during quarantine to spend that time and give that time to us. Anyway, I, I think I started that whole diatribe random tangent by discussing how we need distraction. And one of the greatest distractions for me over the last couple of weeks has been the last dance. All right. The first two episodes last Sunday were outrageously good. They were kindergarten compared to what volumes three and four were, are. I could not, I was waiting, I was hanging on every word from everybody the entire time. It got thick with MJ talking about the Pistons. I said on social media that I'm pretty certain that Bill Lane Beer triggered 12-year-old me to yell the F word for the first time. I'm pretty certain. My <laughs> utter hatred for that man, it cannot be quantified. It cannot be, it cannot be properly described. And the way that they play, and I look, you, all you guys know, I was an MJ guy. 
So I I was as biased as you can be against everybody from Mark Price and Craig Elo to Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars to everybody that he faced. Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Magic, everybody. But I, there was no team that I couldn't stand worse. And in fact, to this day, there's no team that I have disliked more than those late 80s bad boy piston teams. And I'm telling you guys, you have to go watch this. If you don't know, if you've been in, uh, you know, if, if, if you've been in a cocoon during quarantine and you don't know what the last dance is, it is an unprecedented look at the 90s Chicago Bulls dynasty. It's a behind-the-scenes look unlike any that's ever been created. The series continues this Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. And listen to the wrap-up podcast hosted by Jalen and Jacoby immediately following the broadcast every Sunday presented by State Farm. When you want the real deal like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Coverage is also brought to you by AT&T. This is available wherever you enjoy your podcasts, along with Marty Smith's America, and I feel certain that our numbers are very similar to those. I feel very certain, Travis, that uh, our our numbers are very similar. I do want to say this. I'm, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. I'm being facetious, but I want to say something. Last week during the podcast, I asked those of you who were listening to it and enjoyed it to let us know because it fills up our tank. Boy, did y'all let us know. I have received... So many unbelievable notes, most of them on Instagram direct message. That meant so much to me, and I want you to know that I have copied, I have screen grabbed every one of them and sent them to Travis so that he could feel the same way. We don't know. We don't know if six people are listening to this thing or six million. We don't have any idea. I don't want to know. I'm not a numbers guy. I think it's about the passion of the people that are invested. And... I don't care if that's 35 people. I don't care if it's 406. Any of y'all who are Marty and McGee guys know about the 406. That's what I care about. I care about those 406 people who, it's a point listening, who go tell their buddy while they're having a virtual beer, a virtual happy hour on Friday at 5. Hey, man, Marty Smith and Travis Rocco got Lane Kiffin, and you should really go listen to it. It's pretty damn good. And... I'm so grateful for every one of you guys. Keep them coming because we love them. And it helps us know what it ultimately does is, outside of feeding our fragile egos, is it lets us know that what we're doing is the right thing. It lets us know that these interviews mean something to you, especially the ones from high school coaches who say they desperately need that right now because they can take that when they're having virtual calls with their young men who lost their season and they can say, hey, I want you guys to listen to this, which is what one high school coach told me. He had a virtual call with his team and said, listen to what Lane Kiffin said. Or it's, or it's a, a young person who had a job, a really good job in sports marketing at a, at a major university football program and took a chance on themselves and went to another university just in time to be furloughed. And how they need something to hold on to. And the passion that guys like Ken Burns are bringing to the table remind them 
stick to it. And when somebody hears T.J. Watt say, every single play is my Super Bowl, it's going to fill their tank up, just like it did mine, just like it did Travis's when we heard it real time. And if you're if you're willing to share it publicly, go ahead and put it on Apple, too, and let other people be able to see it, and hopefully that you know this stuff can spread a little more, too. If, if you it want it Twitter, to be, yeah. Put it on Twitter, if you have Twitter, because I'll retweet every one of them, just like I do with my book. It's not, it's not only one thing about having a book. One thing about being an author is you're your own best advocate. No matter how conceited it might seem, no matter how it may be perceived from the outside. And I've been criticized. I've been criticized for promoting my own book, but guess what? And ain't nobody else doing it. And what's funny though is you're probably the world's worst promoter, actually. I hate it. I'm not good at it, but yeah, you are the worst. I understand the importance of it. And so well, it's the same thing with Marty Smith's America. The way I see it, ain't nobody else helping me out. I got Travis. I got Dan Levitard and Stu Gotts and Mike Ryan. But, hey, if we want this thing to be heard, it's on us. So if y'all have a story about how, you know, if you're a, if you're a high school coach or you're an executive or you're like, I'm getting ready to do a deal, I have several virtual speeches coming up that that I'm not going to name what organizations, but professional sports organizations have asked me because one of their executives read that book or listened to Marty Smith's America, hey, I got to find something unique and new to pump up my staff. Will you Will you do this? Hell yes, I'll do that. Daggone right I'll do that because I... I enjoy the opportunity to share those stories. And I enjoy that you guys take the time to let me know how it impacts your life. Speaking of lives being impacted, the Smith household has had a bomb dropped here. On Saturday, come here a minute, come here a minute, come here a minute, come here a minute. What's wrong? Oh, no, dude. She woke me up at 545. I I took her out to pee. I brought her back in, lay down on the couch with her. She woke me back up. She went out there and fired off a fat heater. And then we played outside. We played forever out there. And then I came back in thinking I was going to have a nice call. No, we, I rolled that ball back and forth with her for 30 straight minutes. It was awesome. She's good. Well, I, although I don't know what time. Why don't you go ahead and take her out? Yeah. There you go, Travis. There's your... Uh, there's a good look at what's going on in the Smith house. Sounds like you got yourself a dog. We got a sweet little tiny little peanut. I mean, it's the teeniest little thing ever. Two months old, eight weeks old. Named her Sadie. She's a multi-poo. Now, I don't know if you know what this is, but it's it's a tiny little dog. And she is the sweetest thing ever. And... We're still learning all about her and all her little quirks and tendencies. But so wh- whose idea was this? Uh, let's let's get a Lainey's dog. Idea. It was Lainey's idea. So I'm a country boy. Country people have dogs. I grew up with dogs my whole life. We had my very first dog was Jake. He was an Irish blue healer. My daddy bought. That's such a country dog name, Jake. Jake, man. Yeah. Feed Jake, dude. You know that song, Feed Jake. He's been a good dog. I can't sing on our podcast. Travis is going to have to cut that out. 
But um, so we had Jake, and uh, unfortunately, when I was in second grade, uh, Jake was hit by a car. I'll never forget when Daddy came and got me out of school like it was yesterday, like a country music song. I mean, that that's like a country song. Then we got Louie. Louie was a black Labrador retriever whom we had my entire high school years. He was the man. And then after Louie passed away, we got uh, Shelby, which was a uh, what? Westie. Shelby was a West Highland Terrier, and that was my last dog. And Lainey has never had dogs, and so it was her idea. And I was like, really? Yeah, okay, we can talk about that. And then ultimately, she went and got him, uh, got her. And then we went Saturday. We drove to, I mean, it was like a, almost an hour and 15 minutes away where we where the breeder was. And we brought her home, and our kids have hit the jackpot. So it's a, it's different, you know. It's a... You know, getting woke up at five thirty in the morning, I kind of, I kind of felt like that those days were past us, since Vivi is going to be eight in a month. But uh, alas, we have brought a new baby into the home. As if Laney's life isn't already crazy normally with three kids and you traveling the world. She decides she wants to add a dog into her crazy life. Team Laney is. Could not, that's <laughs> why I couldn't make that decision, right? That's not my decision to make. No, that that is that is. That's our captain's decision. That's right. That's right. Lane, I need to get one of those. I need to call my I need to call my boys in equipment at one of the NFL teams and get one of those uh, C's that they put on the captain jersey. I need to I need to have one of those for Laney's everyday attire. There needs to be one of those on every shirt. You're just a little Velcro that she can just patch right on there. That's right. Who who picked the name? Who picked the name? Lane, who do you think picked the name? I didn't know if the kids were involved. In- no, we were not going to give them that latitude. No way, that, dude. Because it would have been—that's like, a lot. It would have been like—I mean, the dog's name would have been like Marshmallow, Honey, <laughs> or S'more. <laughs> you know. So, Mama made that decision. Uh, but it's fun. Yeah, y'all will get updates on Sadie as we go, and uh, it's just fun to have her in the house. It's sweet to feel that. Again, to have that, like, all they want, dogs rock. Dogs are the bomb because they don't want anything from you but love and food and attention. And if you love them, they'll love you back, man. Unconditional. How big will Sadie get? Oh, not big. I mean, she, she probably won't get but to, like, I don't know, five or six pounds. Oh, so you can't train it to go get you a beer or anything like that. No, but she's already really good. We we went and bought her a bunch of toys, and there's this miniature uh, tennis ball that we got. And, man, she will grab onto that thing and carry that thing around the house. So I think Fetch is in my future in a big way, which I'm down with. I like that. So y'all will be getting updates on her a lot, I'm sure. Uh, I'm so grateful for all of you guys for listening. Travis, great job getting TJ. TJ, thanks so much for your time. I will say it again, as I did at the top of the show, everything that's being done right now by all of the all of the medical staff, all the physicians, all of the nurses, all of the EMTs and the, the policemen and women and the firemen and women, it's just amazing to me. 
let's not lose sight of that. If you see them, say thank you. I know we're not going out a whole lot, but Laney and I run by our town's firehouse a lot when we're on our training runs. And the boys will be sitting out there hanging out, and we always try very hard to let them know how grateful we are for what they do. Do that because it matters. It matters all the time, but especially now. Thank you to our military here in the United States and all over the world for sacrificing every single day. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We live in the greatest nation. And we're going to get through this. There is going to be an end. I don't know when it is, but there's going to be an end. And I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to gather together again. In the meantime, stay safe. Thank you all for listening to Marty Smith's America, Volume 99. Be good. We'll see you next time around.